G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. I ride upside down, inside out, and then my wife, she had to uh, reread it and rewrite it, and every time she read the part, she'd bawl her eyes out, because I, I didn't really actually share it with anyone until I put it on paper, and she didn't know quarter of what I went through. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Jimmy McMillan was sexually abused as a young boy, left school when he was only 15 years old and was told that he would never amount to anything. However, with the Lord's help, he's been able to turn his life around and has found the courage to share the struggles he's been through with others. Today, Jimmy is having a chat and sharing his story with Eric Scadabo. And parents, we want to let you know that adult themes will be discussed. And so today's program is not recommended for young children. Jimmy McMillan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. And also joining us today is family counselor Zoe Broomhead. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you with us. And we want to go right to the beginning of your story. Jimmy, where were you born and raised? Uh, A place for Rotorua, New Zealand. Okay, so you're a Kiwi. Yep. And what was life like growing up? Just give us the the general impressions. General impression is it was hard. Um, I can remember a lot of stuff. Especially around birthdays, Christmas, you didn't get anything because mm. of, you know, and my father moved around quite a bit around the country, so we didn't settle in one spot for very long. And I guess there was not a lot of love shown in your family? No hugs? No, no, it was no love. And it, that took me a long, long time to say I love you to any of the family or any of the friends, you know, so... Mm-hmm. It sounds to me, Jimmy, that life was very chaotic and not the nurturing, loving environment that we'd want any child to grow up in. And what we know of your story from the little we've heard so far was there was both physical and sexual abuse for you from a fairly early time in your childhood. Yeah, um, um, I, I um, like, like if you got a hiding, you got a hiding, but I didn't get on, I got a, I got a flogging. Huh? Yeah. I, I can remember doors coming down because I'd run away and lock myself in a room and the door would be broken, um, you know. Everything I did, like even I tried to belong to Cubs back in New Zealand and in the end they just kicked me out. Now, why was that? I was just too naughty, I suppose. Yeah, so it was, it was hard for you to fit in and belong anywhere. Yeah, it was yeah. just hard, yeah. um, you know, getting into trouble. and I got bullied at school a lot, you know, so if, if, if I had, had gone home and said that, Oh, this guy bullied me. I'd have got a hiding. You know? Yeah, that there was no soft place for you. There was no no nurturing place for you to say this is what's happening to me. I need some help and support. It was just rough, whichever way you looked. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I, I I turned that around. Um, there was two guys that used to bully me, and I, I ended up I just took them out and dealt with it my way. Yeah. Because that's and, what you learnt, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah. but one of the guys, we become very close, very close, because at the end of the day I was better than he was at fighting, so. 
So they ended up being a, a, a respect for each other in that? Oh, yeah, respect, yeah. Yeah. And then at school, you had a teacher that told you you would never amount to anything, that you'd end up in jail. Oh, he said I was, I was going to be a dull bludger, a troublemaker, and in and out of jail. I've never been on the dole, ever. Yeah. i come very, very close to going to jail. Yeah. Um, because I, it was my age that kept me out. And troublemaker, yeah, I like stirring people up a bit. Even today I stir people up. <laughs> but in a good way. Now, you wrote that as a young person there was a lot of hate inside of you. A lot of hate, And yes. you didn't know why, and that you always felt that you were robbed of something. You were robbed of my uh, virginity, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and today I, I teach my well my kids and then my grandkids I teach them that you know don't let anyone touch you you know mm-hmm. um, it's wrong what people do you know, just got to pick up a paper or, or read it or see the news and it's there and it was in your experience it was that sexual abuse that robbed you of your identity as a little boy yeah. growing up yeah like, like it was it was my father and. Um, we just didn't get on, didn't see eye to eye. Um, but when he passed away, um, the family said, oh, father's died, I said, good, bury him, I'm not coming home. Yeah. Um, but then later on, we found out that his father did the same thing to uh, his siblings. So the thing was that I got out of that square and, um, you know, it never happened. You broke that generational pattern. I broke that generation, yeah. Yeah. And somewhere in there, there had to be some resilience within you because you got very determined to not only change the pattern but to get right out of New Zealand, to get right away. Tell us about how that process happened and and what was that like for you, that determination to begin to do things differently? Well, when I turned 15, I was only um, half a year in high school, first year high school. Turned 15 and they said, get out, don't want you. So I left school and I said, all right, get a job. And so I went and played with the big boys. I drank with the big boys. I used to get into puppet with the big boys. Fifteen and a half, I was an alcoholic. And um, I'd met a guy who used to travel backwards and forwards from Australia and New Zealand, and he said, he said, you want to go over there one day? Mm. It's, it's beautiful. And that stuck in the back of my mind for, for a lot of years. Planted a I, seed. I, I, yeah, yeah. So I started working and I said, I'm going to go to Australia. So I, I, I spoke to one of my bosses. He said, don't talk about it, just do it. And so I started saving my, my dollars. And the guy said, like my workmates, said, so where are you going? I said, going to Australia. I said, no, you're going nowhere, you're just a drunk. I said, okay, we'll see. So when I went, up, went into town and got my ticket and went back to the work site and just chucked my ticket on the table. Mm. Mm. And they all, he is going, he said, you go there and you change and you enjoy yourself. Wow, yeah. And, um, you know, they, they actually gave me a blessing, which I didn't know at that time. And that was in 1968. I arrived in Sydney, I was only um, 17 and a half. You know, it was a big move. I was still a boy. It was. It was a brave move for a young guy who didn't yeah. have a lot of support around him. And But I knew my wife today, I, I knew um, her sister and brother in New Zealand and that's how I got to meet her. Well, she was the, one of the very first that I met at the airport. But I didn't realise that she was didn't soak in that she was married and pregnant. I just thought she was 
just a little chubby little girl. And then I said, oh, she was married and pregnant, so every now and again I'll mention that and she'll give me a whack in the ear. <laughs> <laughs> She's only four foot seven. Um, but no, I love her dearly. A little um, feisty at times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, she's feisty, mate. And so it was her parents that were your contact in Sydney? Yeah, I became the son that they never had, and uh-huh. I used to take him everywhere, you know. And then when we left uh, Sydney to come up to Brisbane, I said, no, we're taking your mother father with us. So they really became family to you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, my, my wife's first husband, he had another family on the side uh, with another woman, so... The marriage failed, and, and, and she couldn't she couldn't take it anymore, and she ended up walking out, walking out of the marriage. This was seven years later after you had first met her. Yeah, yeah, it was about seven years, and then, and then all of a sudden we were dating, and um, I said, oh, I think we better get married. Okay, so Lynn's divorce became final, and then you married Lynn in November of nineteen seventy five. Yes. So it's been over 30 years now that you've been together. 43 this year. Wow. Well done. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it hasn't been easy. You know, you've got to work at it. But now that, um, you know, the Lord's in there, it makes things easier. But even still, you've still got to work at it, you know. Happy wife, happy marriage. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's trained you well by the sounds of it. Happy wife, happy life. Um, Then a little later on, you received a letter from your sister, I think in about 1995, and that raised for you some of the childhood issues that you had left behind. Um, Some of my family over there, um, they're hanging on to bad baggage, what, what happened to us way back, mm. um, you know, in the 50s. Uh, so as it turns out, your father wasn't only abusing you, but he also abused other members of the family. Well, we didn't know that until until I wrote about it. And even two of my sisters were, was abused by uh, real close friends of the family. Mm. My youngest sister, when I was over in Italy, um, she said it was, it was I did a good thing. By writing about it, what, what happened to us. And so for you, the writing has been a significant part of the healing process for you. Oh, yeah. I write upside down, inside out. And, and then my wife, she had to uh, reread it and rewrite it. And <laughs> Sounds uh, like she's a, a good support. Yeah, but that, that took every time she read the part, she'd bawl her eyes out and because uh, I, I didn't really actually share it with anyone until I put it on paper. Mm-hmm. And, and she didn't know quarter of what I went through. So what was that like for you to begin to put it on paper, have your wife read it and see her responses to your written narrative, your written story of what you went through? What was that like to begin to do that, to begin to share your story? It, it brought us closer together. Uh, it, it, it was a, a big relief on my half. You know, I started feeling better within myself. And, and of course, reading the Bible as well is, is another, another thing that helped me. You're listening to The Story. 
Today, Eric Scadabo and family counsellor Zoe Broomhead are chatting with Jimmy McMillan, who was sexually abused as a young boy and was told that he would never amount to anything. Fortunately, as we've been hearing, that has not been the case. Also, we've been hearing that his healing began when he started to write his experiences down. Next, we're going to find out the impact the Lord has had on his life and how his faith has helped him to heal. All that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo and family counsellor Zoe Broomhead chatting with Jimmy McMillan, who was sexually abused as a young boy and was told that he would never amount to anything. Fortunately, as we heard before the break, that has not been the case. Next, we're going to find out how the Lord entered into Jimmy's life. When my um, my son was going to live over in Canada, Vancouver, so I said, we'll bit of a farewell party, like a hangi, cook the food in the ground. And, and I said, you better tell Pastor Ted, who my son and him went to school together, and um, my wife, Lynn, couldn't make that phone call. And I'd come home from work, have you ranked Ted? No. Have you ranked Ted? No. And in the end, I said, well, you better hurry up, it's getting close. So my wife rang Ted and said that um, Brett's going to Vancouver. We're having a farewell party. And um, him and his wife, Amanda, were there. And she said, oh, Pastor Ted, I need to talk to you. And so she went down to the church. We're only two minutes from the church. Mm-hmm. And um, she gave her heart to the Lord there and then. Wow. So there she was. Then eight months later, they had a... The conquerors come over from the States, blow up things and break things. And so we took our uh, two young grand or two oldest grandkids there. And um, they said, if, if you need Jesus in your life, just squeeze your, the hands you're holding. And, and I had holding by both of my grandkids. And they both squeezed my hand. And I said, what's happening here? Because at that stage, I wasn't interested in church because. Sunday night was football night after the news. And <laughs> so they dealt with that, and and, um, and then Pastor Ted was doing uh, a series on Anton Fisher. Now, this is a movie about uh, a man who was sexually abused? Sexually abused by uh, members of the family and, and in and out of foster homes. And uh, he joined the Navy over there, over in America. And the, I bawled my eyes out because that's what, what I went through in the young age and um, the pastor said Ted said that when he was praying after the service was finished if you need Jesus in your life um, you know raise your hands and well I, I don't know who put my hand up but it wasn't me it must have been someone sitting behind me but <laughs> <laughs> and then and my wife Lynn said why don't you tell me tell you what I said I didn't know this was going to happen and um I gave my heart to the Lord there and then. And today we, we work with the youth in our church. Um, I'll share with people. A lot of people in there are hurting that, that's been through what I've been through. I said, guys, you've got to write about it. Because I, I found that was a big relief. 
and um, writing about it and sharing it and sharing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not keeping it locked inside. Yeah, because we had a magazine that was the last issue because they were closing that down, and it went around the world that magazine. And then mobile phones come along, um, Facebook. I said I need to put this on Facebook. So it was a young young lady in our church. Um, I said, can you put this on Facebook? She said, it's going to cost you a meal and a ride on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> I said, only because it's you. And um, we, we're like grandparents to yeah. this family. Yeah. Um, so it went on Facebook and that hurt some of my family members back in New Zealand. But So you, you tried to engage with them and show them yeah. uh, a healing yeah. process. Yeah. But uh, sadly for you, they weren't able to, to join you in that same healing process. Yeah, I, I, still, I still love them, but, you know. Of course you do, yeah. Um, How do you think your faith has helped you in the healing process? Um, my faith's helped me big time, um, big time, you know, because um, you get up before you start the day, you, you read your Bible and your scriptures, and it's a big help. Um I, I, I wouldn't change that for the world. Just having having the Lord in, in my heart, and you know, even even with my faith, I, mean, I, I was very sick at the beginning of the year, and and I beat it. And but people in the church, I want Jimmy's faith. I said, you can't get my faith. You got to get your own. So in that way, it, it, it's it's helped me big time. And I understand that you didn't know how to read. I, I, I couldn't hardly read when I started going to church. And it was a program in the church that, that we had and, and that taught us how to read the Bible and, and how to read and speak in front of people, you know. That's because of what happened to me in the early age of my life that school was just school, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't belong there. Well, it was something you had to survive at that point in time. It wasn't a t- it wasn't yeah, an had- educational nurturing environment for you, was it? At that time, yeah, yeah. I was always getting the cane every day, just about. So that's how how bad I was. Um, what happened to me in my past, um, you know, that's 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 something that I will share with other people out there. Mm-hmm. You share with them, and you bring hope that healing is possible for each of us. Yeah, for you, part of a significant part of that healing, if I can just recap, was when you started to put your story down, when you started to write about it, and you shared your story with first of all your wife, with somebody you trusted very much, yeah, and then shared it more broadly. Yes, yeah. There's um, some young young kids in the church that haven't got fathers, and and I give permission. And I'll take him out for breakfast on the bike, and you know we're going to have breakfast and take him home. But mm. so now, just kind of wrapping up your story, a trend that has gone on throughout your life was just being haunted by what happened to you—the sexual abuse at a young age—and so that always confused you throughout your life. But then, it sounds like after you became a Christian, some healing came into your life because of learning how to forgive. Is that right? Learning how to forgive. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a big part of my life today. Because if you held on to that bitterness, well, it would just eat you up inside. It'll just keep eating you up. Yeah. And, and you know, although I did drive drugs once upon a time when I was at Mount Isa, and, and we walked out of that, that place and 
it got down into the roads and, and then it got raided. Everybody in there got busted because of drugs. I said, oh, I think I made the right decision to leave the drugs alone. But it, it's, forgiveness is, yeah, it's, I've, I've come a long way since I've learned how to forgive people. Mm-hmm. Because you've been forgiven by your father, and so now you can forgive others. Yeah, yes, I have. And it sounds like the Lord has put on your heart to use what you've been through to help other people. He certainly has, and, and that, that's what we do. Um, we help people, um, well, both my wife and I, we, we help people. Uh, she's got young ladies that she's got to work with that's got issues, and trying to talk to them and teach them how to forgive whatever's gone in their life. And a lot of the young ones through the youth open up to us because we're the oldies there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've been on quite a journey, but you're using the pain that you've gone through to help others. I just wanted to end today's conversation by asking Zoe kind of your final thoughts on everything you've heard that's going on in Jimmy's life. I think Jimmy's had um, an internal resilience, you know, despite the destruction that was taking place in his life early on to be able to have that determination, you know, to be told that you're not going to amount to anything, even when he was working to be told you're not going to get on a, you know, you know, yeah. get your ticket to Australia. Jimmy, you've and, had your share of discouraging uh, ab- people in your life. And, yeah. and yet how delightful yeah. to hear that, that internal resilience somewhere within there to mm-hmm. say, well, I'm going to put some money aside and I am going to get a ticket and I yeah. am going to get to Australia. The, the, there's just this, this lovely internal resilience that mm-hmm. says, I'm going to find my way through this, and he has. And, you know, to do the writing, to do the sharing, and finally now to be at a place where um, he's in relationship with God, he's in secure relationship with his wife and his children and grandchildren, and in now a loving community, a faith community around him, um, there is a story of, of healing and hope for all of us, I think. Beautiful. Uh, you know, such yeah. sadness in there, but so much hope, I think, for all of us to know that if we are determined and call out in hope and in faith that healing is possible. I, I, I have shared my testimony when I was in the Philippines in, in one of the jails over there and, and most of the crew that went over there, they went down to the hospital in the jail. I said, I ain't going down there, I'm going up the death row. Wow. And um, So I, I went up the death row. I couldn't go up there by myself, but I had to go up with the right people. And I shared my testimony to the guys up there, and I had him in tears. Mm. Mm. And um, and then two years ago, I was over in Romania, and uh, juvenile. I, I shared my testimony in the, the male section and the female section over in Romania. So, wow, the Lord is using you. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having me. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Jimmy McMillan and family counsellor Zoe Broomhead. That interview was recorded in November of 2018, and I'm very sad to say that just a few months later, Jimmy contracted asbestos-related cancer, and after a short battle, he eventually passed away. Our condolences to Jimmy's family. As we heard in the interview, Jimmy was a courageous man, and one of the things that helped him to heal from sexual abuse in his youth was when he began to write his experiences down. This would not have been easy, 
but he was brave enough to share his experiences with others to help them heal as well. As we heard, his wife Lynn helped him get words down, and that was how she learned about his abuse for the first time. Lynn will join us next time to pay tribute to her amazing husband and share about the impact he's had on so many people's lives, especially young people. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. We'd done many things together, but one of the things that made such an impact on Jim was when we went to Romania and we were able to go into one of the detention centres there and they were young, tough boys that had done all types of different crimes. And Jim got up to give his testimony and these young, tough boys that walked into the room ended up in tears and crying and crying on Jim's shoulder. Lynn was married to Jimmy McMillan for 44 years and was witness to the amazing spiritual growth in his life and to his heart for helping young people, even after going through a troubled childhood of his own. Lynn will pay tribute to her late husband and share some of her story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.